Uh, George Jennings is a um, researcher in uh, martial arts, sport, um, and sociology at Cardiff Metropolitan University, and I'm talking to him today. George, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm nice, nice and sunny. It is yeah. nice and sunny today, but I've got a touch of Monday-itis, but it's nice to talk to you today about, uh, yeah. about your research, thank and you. that you're sitting in front of a Wing Chun dummy. Yeah, and if you were... Yeah, I thought I'd show you the corner because this kind of represents a little bit of what I, I do. Because, yeah. yeah, my background mainly is in Wing Chun, but also I lived in Mexico, so I've got the Lucha Libre mask here. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, at the moment, I'm looking at a bit of a HEMA as well, some local research in an academy. <laughs> so it's kind of a combination of martial arts in the corner. So. Okay, so the background's been staged for this media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, so like you that. you uh, worked and lived in Mexico, and you researched um, uh, various kinds of ostensibly indigenous but often reconstructed martial arts. And then you've moved back to the UK, and your research has moved on. Tell us a bit about the Mexico research first. Okay, sure. Yeah. So before I moved to Mexico, I didn't know that there were any. Mexican martial arts exactly. I knew obviously there was lucha libre, the form of free wrestling, with yeah. often with masks and all the characters involved. And I knew that Mexico had a rich boxing heritage, so a history of great boxers. Um, but when I just encountered um, one Mexican martial art by good fortune, really, because I was in um, a cultural area of Mexico City called Cuyocan, which is a very nice place to visit, by the way. And, and there was a cultural center which they had a big banner outside, and it showed a, a woman in a headdress in a very low position in a kind of a martial it looked like a martial arts position mm -hmm. and i thought wow that is that a martial art and it said shilam arti martial mexicano or i think it was arti de pelea so fighting art mm. mexican fighting art and and it was in the place where i was actually learning a language in that cultural center um which which was promoting indigenous things for example indigenous languages so that, that's why I joined the group really. In the first few months of living in Mexico, I found it very, very luckily. Mm -hmm. And I joined it as a, as a student for, and I learned it for a year uh, until the branch school closed down, just because usual finance in martial arts, as you know, and issues yeah. of bureaucracy. So I, I got to know Shalang quite well, and I continued my journey from studying it through interviews and other, other methods as well. Yeah. yeah. So the, re the really interesting thing that one of the when I've read your articles um, on that project on that time and on that martial art one really interesting thing about Shilam was the fact that the the people who developed it kind of knew that they were inventing it but they were appealing imaginatively to a kind of pre-European culture hmm. but they knew they had no access to that culture really yeah. so they sort of used various ingredients from what is known and what is imagined about that past yeah. to develop i mean what's the status of the art i mean is is it are they saying it, it would have looked a bit like this or or it's just like this is to try and imaginatively imaginatively engage with our roots what what is the status of that i would say that it was the second option that you've given me is that they're imagining or reimagining what it could be like but they would say the, the philosophy behind it is authentic in the sense that they're using um, mainly the Aztec, what's so-called Aztec, Mexica philosophy, the central Mexico, of the underlying principles. All of the philosophy, the, the basis is the root, and then the, the techniques are an expression of that, essentially, a way to develop a human being. Um, okay. but, so the, the external, but they did, there is controversy because many of their techniques do resemble um, Asian martial arts. And I've just written an article about the other belong, technique of belonging. So where does the technique belong to? And can you, can you make it belong to Mexico through the philosophy, through the ritual? Yeah. So for example, a, punch, a twist punch, 
turning into snake position, does that technique become more authentic because it has a link to a lot of the idea of the snake and, and some of their sort of the deities. So yeah, I'd say that they're, they're trying, they're reimagining it, but again, it was created by a, a martial artist with lots of experience in other martial arts. Yeah. So, but they use other things, objects, um, head, you know, dresses or symbols, which give an element of the, you know, the heritage of the culture. Mm. So it's, I would say it's a blend, um, but they can never say this is what the, the, for example, the Mayans fought like or the Zapotec fought like. Yeah. They use some of the techniques, they can find pottery, um, like wall paintings and murals, um, okay. excavations. They have some evidence they have were impostures, but we don't, obviously there's only one or two pictures. We don't know how to sequence like them, um, maybe yeah. with Hema, there's no, um, Fortunately, fight books in existence. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like that. It, from what you've said about it, there's a kind of creative honesty to it, um, but a, but a, a, um, a kind of passionate connection with an idea of a, of a past. But it's not like a kind of art that conceals its made upness, is it? So, like for instance, you know, you say that they take inspiration from from images on pottery or any engravings or artwork they found. But so like, for instance, in Taekwondo in Korea, they, there's ancient statues where they're doing things like this. So they put these moves into, into the patterns, into the forms and said, oh, you see how ancient Taekwondo is. They're not doing that. They, no. they're, they're doing something else. Yeah, because they, they, the founder's still alive, Maricela Ugalde, she's now almost 70 now. So she, you know, still alive and kicking literally and teaching. Yeah. So she can't say that, you know, it comes from an ancient lineage because she created it, but she has um, done her own research, collaborated with different people of what it may have been, but also she's had a, a her guardian or, or leader was a dance, um, pre-Hispanic dance uh, captain, should we say, okay. uh, who passed away, but he taught her the philosophy, not the martial arts. So she had an oral transmission from him about what the, the Aztecs and Mexica would have, how they would have seen the world. And that's her kind of heritage. And then she's done the martial arts basis of it. But she can, you know, she wouldn't say, oh, I, someone taught me Shalam, because she was the first generation. Okay. Yeah. So you, you have this interest in, I mean, you've moved to, you moved to Wales, you've moved to Cardiff, and you've moved into looking at things like HEMA, historical European martial arts. So what kind of, what kind of relationship, are, are they the same sort of project as the Shilam project, or is it different? Yeah, I think I'm interested. The moment I remember when we were in um, Durham, you talked about having a narrative for your research, and I had to think about that. And I was thinking, well, all my projects could be under the narrative of re um, the idea of reinvention. Yeah. So the idea that martial arts can reinvent the person, but also martial arts can be reinvented or reimagined or rediscovered. So Hema and Shalom have lots of similarities in that sense. The Hema, you so said, definitely these these fighters existed, like Fiore, for example, in, in Italy, um, all different fencing masters and we're recreating or re-understanding or retesting these, these martial arts hmm. so that there's definitely an idea and we can recreate our identities or ourselves as people through this we can complete different person through kind of idea of chivalric values or the ideal of knights and warriors so they're, they're united by a sense of a warrior so the ideal type of warrior in shalam is the, the aztec you know, the eagle knight and jaguar knight and this is also used by other mexican new mexican martial arts developed around 1990s period there are five martial Mexican martial arts, a similar kind of idea of recreating. And Hema, in a sense, they also have the idea of these great fencing masters who were mercenaries, who were duelists, who were warriors, and, and, and or maybe some local heroes as well, like in Wales, William Marshall. Mm -hmm. okay, I, forgot, I had a few other props, I'm already sorry, actually. You know, you told me not to prepare. So we've got William Marshall, um, he was first Earl of Pembroke, and he was like, again, not a rags to riches, but he was, we might say, middle class today, but he was a you know, second, third son of a knight. And he became the regent of England and he under the power behind four kings, allegedly. So 
and this is someone who's inspired my own instructor. So it's an interesting, they have their role models, they have their kind of most heroic historical figures who they look up to and how they might live their life around these kind of people. So I think definitely so, they're the connection. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about you, because you also, I know that you are interested in researching the spread and the teaching of, so it's not just about the construction that, that you're interested. You're also interested in issues in pedagogy, issues in identity and you've also looked at your first martial art which is Wing Chun or your main martial art and you've also recently started to ex to, to explore Tai Chi as well and you always do an ethnographic study you always approach it as a student who walks in the door and you take it from there. I tried to I think it, whilst you I think if, you, if the opportunity arises and I can I do, um, but I also try to use some other methods if possible, like um, online ethnography and be flexible with the methods. Like for example, at the moment now we're, we're doing online interviews because of COVID-19 and the lockdown. So my ethnographies are turned online. But I do, I do like the idea of trying to get it to mix the qualitative. Usually I'm definitely a qualitative researcher, but I use ethnography, maybe narrative, life history, media analysis, various approaches to tackle this martial arts. So at yeah. the moment I'm looking at Tai Chi, but I'm also looking at the uh, podcasts, which are the, my teacher's teacher has a, a extensive list of podcasts and and books as well so i try to look some texture analysis slowly and try to get into involved in those methods as well to yeah. understand the organization more broadly but yeah. definitely i think it's good to have an insider understanding at least for a few years but then you can step back after a few years and then try to use other methods like i did with shalam help me be a bit more critical and have a more global perspective on things so you think you feel that as a even though you 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 don't let you don't draw artificial boundaries around things. So you won't say, I don't do textual analysis or I won't look at a film or I won't. Uh, you, you just try to bring as much to bear as, as seems appropriate or possible given the context. I think so, yeah, because I use it. It would primarily be qualitative, basically my specialism. I mean, potentially I might do a survey one day, but because of my skills and my interests and perhaps my you know, dispositions, I would probably go for the qualitative approach. For example, Craig Owen and I are, uh, looking at Cobra Kai and so we're developing this article which is a bit of fun and it's yeah. it's nice to look at something different so I try to use any form of data possible so it could be a YouTube series it could be a video a podcast a, you know a biography of a, a night or anything could be used as data for me yeah I try to use that yeah. okay that's and so your initial publications in this area I was looking through your 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 list of publications and 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 you the, the extra ingredient, I guess, is theory. I mean, you use, you don't just look at things from a naive or open-ended perspective. You normally have a question from theory or a, or a, I mean, how do you, what's your relationship with theory as well then? Good question. Um, I think the beginning is it has evolved. So when I was a student, say in master's PhD, I used theories I was, I was taught. Yeah. Um, often sociological theory, because that's my main background, sociology of sports. So it'd be things like Bourdieu or, maybe some phenomenology or Weber mm. and some of the things I used in my PhD. But I started to develop from there, maybe a synthesis of different theories. So yeah. as of my PhD, I developed the idea of shared cultivation, which combines self-cultivation from the Japanese philosopher Yuasa with things from, again, Borgia, Giddens, Yuasa, all these kind of, sorry, Weber, yeah. sociologists, and thinking of how it's not just in self-cultivation, but we cultivate things together. Mm -hmm. So over time, I, I, though I use other people's theories, established scholars' theories, so not necessarily writing about martial arts, mm. I'm trying to develop, slowly trying to develop, some specific theories, like we, with your journal in martial arts studies, the one about Bruce Lee and the invention of Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. I brought in the case study of Shalam and also case study of Bartitsu to look at three case studies. So I try to use case studies 
yeah. to build theory. And I'm trying to do that with a book I'm writing at the moment, reinvention yeah. martial arts. So, okay. Yeah. And yeah, the other thing that I know um, about your ongoing interest is that you, uh, well, one of the big strands is, is questions around health, isn't it? And martial arts in relation to health. Tell us about, tell us about your, the thing that animates that interest. Sure. I mean, the beginning, I wasn't so, again, back to the, my development, my research, I wasn't so interested in that. I suppose when you're uh, a bit younger and you're in your early 20s and things, you're more interested in like, all the fighting and all the Maybe I was interested in the narratives of aging because I noticed a lot of the people talk about getting older and very positive stories. So, but then when I started to analyze some of my data and I wrote up a paper in 2014, 2015 about the health narratives, health philosophies, that got me interested. I realized that there are different ways of looking, interpreting, let's say the Chinese martial arts. And you could take it from a say Taoist or neo-Taoist perspective, take it from a Western scientific perspective, or maybe a holistic or even new age perspective. Yeah. And that got me thinking about this is an interesting area. Um, in, and as martial arts studies developed as a field, I thought, well, there is an area where we could develop more research because it's obviously a massive thing in society and in the world is the health and well-being and it's becoming more prominent in my area in sports science and exercise. Yeah. So I started to write a few more things about the, the diversity of technique and diversity of methodologies we have in martial arts that could be explored, not just for fighting yeah. and maybe looking at you know, methodology, but also how we can develop a more rounded set of movements for health and well-being. And now I'm looking at martial arts. I'm interested in martial arts and, and therapy. And then you are also. Um, and different forms of therapy. And hopefully there's a new project called Fighting in Spirits, which is um, with a, a psychotherapist, Stephen Thomas, who's based in Cardiff and Bristol. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at the union between psychotherapy and counseling and martial arts through some workshops. So I was very lucky to, again, very lucky to encounter him through your uh, Facebook group, actually. Okay. And, um, yeah, so luckily that's a new project that's underway. Um, okay. So just, uh, I mean, you know, in, in a general sense, do you think there's, there are, um, do you think there's one specific generalizable thing that martial arts bring to health or a range of different specific things that, that people couldn't get from something else? Is it something about martial arts as a, mm. as a thing that you do that, that has a unique relationship yeah. to health or is it a general thing? Yeah, I think very, yeah, you could look at different planes. If you looked at, I don't want to divide mind and body, but if you want to just, just simplicity's sake, say, look at, you look at health more in a biomedical perspective. I think martial arts have a, um, a variety of interesting movements. So you've got things like punches, kicks, knees, throws, rolls. And obviously, if you look at the, the global idea of what martial arts can be, like wrestling and weapons. You've got lots of things like the gripping techniques and the warm ups. Even the warm ups, so you take the diversity, say, Tai Chi, and then interesting warm ups that they have. Hmm. That's, that's something that you can explore for research. And you know, I think the, the older people can do it, or different people, maybe someone in a wheelchair can adapt some of these techniques. And yeah. they're very adaptable, I think, as we've seen. They've adapted for different purposes, politically, culturally. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the idea of maybe the psychological, emotional element, which links to that physicality, of course, um, which is fighting the spirit is looking at. Is Some people have talked about the idea of it, re it not removes fear, but it works with fear and it works with confidence and your self-concept. and and development through that so you know your posture and, and standing straight keeping your shoulders back and all yeah. these things you, you know, carry yourself and i think yeah. that martial arts definitely focuses on that internally a lot of the aspects of yourself like your tension and things maybe sport you wouldn't think about too much because you're thinking in rugby for example you think about getting the ball trying to go around and you're probably not thinking about how your shoulder feels or how your scapula feels and, hmm. and your feet grounded on the floor so martial arts goes very deep into human movement and embodiment i think Okay, it's an interesting thing because I was um, 
talking to a guy, I, I, basically a joiner, right? I needed some, I need some joinery doing. So a joiner came around and I was wearing a jujitsu t-shirt. So we start talking about martial arts, right? And he was saying, oh, back in 2004 or something, 2007, him and his friends, they'd all been training in MMA and they all didn't, did, took part in an MMA competition. And, and then he was doing competitive jujitsu, but then he got really injured. And then he said, but now, he said, now I've just moved away from that. I just do martial arts. So he does like, he does Wing Chun uh, and he's tried. And I, so he made a distinction in his head between the combat sports. So even jujitsu for him was competitive. It was a combat sport. And then he has another concept of martial arts. Uh, when he was, t he was talking about posture and he was talking about how he really enjoys the, the sort of the energy training. He was demonstrating stuff like, and he kind of thrusts and he kind of bounce people away. And so I guess in terms of what you're saying is that, maybe even people in competitive MMA, maybe even competitive judo or jiu-jitsu, they're just not, it, the practice is differently orientated to someone who's doing Tai Chi or Wing Chun in a certain way, because it's all about your posture has to be like this and feel the tension, relax that tension, get the, do you think that that's an active distinction or is that one that we've just made up here and now? Yeah, I think it's, it's been around for a, a while. I mean, um, you probably remember the review that Alex Channel and I wrote, and we I've tried to develop. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't use definition because that's contentious, but just say what we're we looking at, what kind of what fields do we look at, what areas. And hmm. I meant we mentioned combat sports, martial arts, and self-defense or military yeah. systems. And often you can use that trialectic kind of definition, or, or you might have others like we know Six Fessler and other people have have developed different frameworks but generally you could argue there is a difference but of course they, they fluctuate so Wing Chun for example could be a very internal approach and that's there's a kind of almost a renaissance of Wing Chun in the sense that they're looking into is it internal martial art like Tai Chi is it about standing for long many hours and understanding your body and that, there's an argument towards that and other people have turned it into competition and semi-contact approach and others have just gone for the street fighting real, realistic approach realistic you know, reality in the streets and um, and I think that any martial art can be moved around that. So maybe judo, you know, can be also be a therapy and you start to look at, I know that in Spain they have a, a therapy called adaptive utilitarian judo where they're using it for many elderly people to learn how to grip yeah. the fall. So judo, again, from a dynamic Olympic sport that it is, can go back almost or a different direct, slightly different direction mm. for health and well-being. So I believe, yes, there are different, different dimensions in martial art, but maybe not, you can't necessarily say one martial art has to be this because it will probably change over time. Yeah. Direction. I mean, I do. I, I often want because I agree with that. I agree entirely with that perspective that you, you see how people are using a term, and you see. So, like in the case of my joiner, um, he he has a concept. Like, there's an absolute world of difference for him between the combat sport uh, and the martial art that he's doing now. So, I'm always interested in the way people use terms because I would never, in my head, in my Venn diagram, MMA mixed martial art right it's a martial yeah. art right um but other people other people don't i wonder if where where lines would be drawn between you know because i was just thinking could you could mma be transformed into like a healthful practice and then my my own answer is well of course it can like yeah. because the boxing the kicking the stretching yeah. the aerobic of course that that could be boxer size that can be kickboxer size i mean why wouldn't it be but 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 then it's then it's no longer wouldn't fall into the category martial or maybe it would maybe that would make it even more into the category yeah. Of, yeah. of martial art because the category of martial art slips around in people's heads as well doesn't it I mean that's yeah. 
Interesting. One interesting paper is that by, I don't know if you've seen the paper by um, Irina Martinkova and Jim Parry, and they have a paper of uh, Marshall categories. Okay. Classification and uh, clarification, something like that. So they've got seven, I think seven categories. They talk like Marshall sports, Marshall games, for example, which you yeah. might be on horses and playing. Yeah. And yeah. Marshall therapies. And there's lots of different categories. So maybe, but we use martial arts, we know from your research about, you know, it's something came up in the 1980s, 1990s when people stop saying karate they start to say martial arts more generically hmm. um, and we have that now in our discourse don't we so it, it's going to be used by the public it's going to be used by specialists and scientists and then we probably won't be able to lose it even if we write nice papers with frameworks it's, it'll take a long time to use more specific words yeah. um, but i think even if we look at instead of martial art look at the word art and i think that there's a link there's a there's a definition there because if we look at art like painting and poetry hopefully you'll get better as you you get older and you're cultivating yourself you're developing something to transmit it to the next generation maybe you could argue that some of the combat sports although they can be beautiful and aesthetic there's a damage to the person through for example boxing if i carry on doing boxing all my life yeah. sadly I'll, I'll get brain damage no doubt or i'll give someone else brain damage yeah um, and that it hinders but hopefully art doesn't damage you yeah. you can sustain it to your 80s and 90s so yeah. i'd argue there's an element of longevity there in art so you think that the, yeah. the, the, the term, the, the element in the, in the, in the coupled martial arts, do you think that the, the, the term arts is, the, is a really distinctive feature that will always be there? So you might be doing combat sports, you might be a boxer, but you could then kind of graduate or, or retire from that, but still love the art and the feel and the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's the feeling and expression and um, maybe you're being creative as well with it. And of course, you know, combat sports are going to be creative as well because they've got to create new techniques and new strategies. And I think that's why um, the, the martial arts change so quickly as well. It's an art because they wing show my martial art. You see the diversity, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Say you just hit man lineage who died in 1972, Bruce Lee's teacher. Yeah. You know, how many, there's so many different interpretations of what he taught and how the techniques should be done and the drills. And, and there's a lot of creativity. And, and that obviously that changes over time. My teachers changed dramatically since I first joined you when I was 18. Hmm. And then when I came to university, so it's quite yeah. impressive. I guess the, the theme yeah. of creativity is an interesting one because some martial arts embrace creativity. Like in, in, in say Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's like, if you can invent a new thing that works, people are like, wow, that's amazing. But in, I, I was talking to a very senior Aikido instructor, I won't mention any names because they might not want me to, to mention their names. And I, and I asked about the status of change or innovation in Aikido and he kind of went, oh yeah. He said, because like for instance, in, in, in formal Aikido, there is no rear naked choke. There's, there's, it just isn't in Aikido, but it exists and it's popular now. So, and you were saying, you saying, I guess a real traditional teacher would say, there'll be a certain type of hold in Aikido that they would say well you could then that that could become but he said it's very they, they, they have a really resistant uh, relationship to creativity in it so like Aikido's at one end uh, and whereas and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the other I mean where do we put, put things like HEMA which we might regard as quite creative but within their own field they'll go no no it's not creative it's discovery right mm -hmm. I'm discovering the medieval way of using this cudgel or battle axe or something mm -hmm. what do you think about the states of creativity across these different mm -hmm. sorts of practice that you've looked at yeah i think it will vary within again within the schools of the particular martial arts so we look at hema some may be very much like try to take a purist traditionalist approach like this is how 
this person, you know, Talhofer or whoever it is, or Vardy or this fencing master said, and this is the only thing we teach. And we're not going to guess between the lines, but mm. others will critique or look at medieval art or Renaissance or even early Renaissance art. It's like in these books, not like the greatest paintings, but mm. sometimes their, their anatomy and other things is, is a bit vague and it's not so easy to find what, what between this point and this point, or when they, they let go of their blade, what happened? How do they get around their arm? And, yeah. and then start to feed things between the lines. And you've got also look, step back and look at the person behind this doing it. Normally the people doing these martial arts typically have some kind of background so they might come from a fencing background they might come from a boxing background from my instructor in Hima for example he's done boxing since he was a kid then Kung Fu Tai Chi and he's done then sport fencing as well mm-hmm. and he's gone then Krav Maga as well so a lot of it I think we fill the gaps to take that and to use some Krav Maga yeah. right? or you might do some boxing he knows how to punch well and one of our students does ninjutsu so we, we sometimes we we share practice of how to fall safely for example yeah in, in mats. so Others, you know, using not just his instructor, but his colleagues and trusted friends come in to give special sessions on how to, how to roll, how to, when we're doing these takedowns with a dagger. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a shared creativity in the sense that we're, we're blending, learning from other people's knowledge to fill these gaps from this manuscript, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So I, think, I don't know if that answers your, your question. No, I think, I, think it, I, think that, so I think that people who... It's, although we might look at something and go, well, that's HEMA, and then we might form a stereotypical opinion of what HEMA might think it is. For practitioners, it's often just a framework within which they explore their own ability to use a certain weapon or do a certain technique. It's not like, it's not one thing for everyone, is it? It gets a certain reputation and we might go, how can you, how can you access the way that a a group of people might train in the middle ages when we have such limited evidence left and limited media? Uh, But people don't, involved in it don't really care they're like oh i like that sword how would i use it what does the what do the textbooks say but this feels like i would do this with it do you think yeah i think definitely there's an idea of exploration but then they also they you have your personal exploration but it's always tested against someone else because because hema is is a pedagogy back to the other pedagogy that's primarily uh, sparring based which is not it's not based on kata or forms they they have um you know the cuts like one two they might have number than one to ten or they may have a interesting names for them but generally I, I find at least a third of the class is sparring and they also now competitions there is an element of combat sport now yeah. becoming grow, a growing sport and yeah. they have the workshops where they go to Ireland or other countries where they exchange and give each other guest workshops so there's yeah. always going to be like questions and it's very open pedagogy where they say actually I'm not sure if I agree with that and you know instead of a kid you probably wouldn't like these kind of very yeah. traditional class you don't question the teacher and it's very informal pedagogy where you use the first name basis they call Marshall maybe the teacher, but they don't usually say this is the first name. So, um, so what do your so you work in a kind of sociology sports um, department and or yeah. school? What um, what do your colleagues make of your interests? And what's kind of how do you just do you, do you need to justify your activities, or are they totally behind you? Do they kind of go, yeah, it makes sense, or how does yeah. it work? I think I'm quite lucky, really. I mean, then our school is a, now it's all the sports and health sciences. It's a really big school now, almost a faculty, because we've got another campus where they do laboratory work on tissues and cells and all that kind of really biological stuff. And you go to my school, which they've got you know, biomechanics of know, trampolining or all sorts of things going on and coaching research. And so I'm in the sociology and ethics kind of area, and we would have fit around different programs. So I think they're happy because I'm, I'm writing quite a bit for the university and developing research and scholarly activity. So 
I think no one's question. Only one colleague once at lunch said, "Is that you know martial arts? Is that a bit niche?" That's only only kind of negative. He's again a physiologist and health and that kind of thing. But that's the only. I've been quite lucky. I think now we're we're fortunate to be in a time where martial arts is a cool area. It's getting funding. It's getting recognition. And, and most people say, "Oh, that's interesting," and they know it's a. People say, "Oh, it's quite cool." They, they think it's quite different. Okay. Original. So and is there anything that you've been able to take back to uh, a wider um, sociology of sport kind of audience about, for instance, pedagogy or about power dynamics or politics or gender or, or anything like that? Is there anything that, that you feel that research in martial arts gives a unique um, window into? Sure. I mean, recently I went to the conference in Worcester uh, last year, which was about coaching. So it was a cluster for research in coaching, Crick conference. And they kindly invited me to give to run a seminar. So, so I, that was um, you know, an afternoon where I invited some other colleagues like Lynn Jeku, for example, Simon Dodd, um, Lorenzo Pedrini and his boxing coach. So we had different uh, sports or martial arts. We've got boxing, we've got you know, Japanese or Okinawan martial arts. We have um, more of the Japanese Shudokan tradition. And I was looking at HEMA, so we're looking at, and also we had a uh, Jean-Francois Laucher looking at oh, yeah, uh, yeah. wrestling. Yeah. So we've got a lot of very international, you see martial arts are international, they're multicultural, intercultural, and there's a the great diversity of that. And we were looking at inclusivity, so as a topic, inclusive for the topic of the conference. So I said, that, for example, HEMA, that we now have the inclusivity of um, left-handers are now able to do it, because in, in medieval times, it was like the devil. You know? Okay. So, yeah. So that, you know, and women also allowed to do these things. So that's, in, that's interesting. Like you look at previously outlawed kind of practices and now being included in the 21st century. So that was, that was a theme they seem quite interested in. And we might have a special issue in their journal coming up next year, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I think they are, sports are interested in martial arts more, more than ever, really. We see lots of history journals now. They've got special issues on masculinity and martial sports. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. very, more than ever. When I first started, it was like really obscure. I think a lot of people think, well, this is very esoteric. Like once someone said to me, my PhD, <laughs> but now it's, they're seeing that we've got lots to offer them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's, uh, what, what's next on your agenda? I mean, we're all in various forms of lockdown um, in different ways and it's caused problems for our research and our teaching and our writing sometimes. What, what, are, what, what's going to happen with you over the next few months or year or so and your research? Okay. For the moment, because um, I can't do my face-to-face ethnography, I'm doing it's obviously switched online. So I'm taking notes about the martial arts under the lockdown. So it's really interesting seeing things that we have a on the HEMA group. We have a film night every week where we watch a, a rubbish film over Zoom and make jokes about it. And so that's the social aspect of HEMA. And then we've got um, Friday we have a workout and hit session, so high intensity workout. With one of the students runs that one. Okay. So we have loads of things going on. I've got my own Wing Chun group and now I'm back in contact with them online. So I'm getting lectures from my teacher and I'm taking loads of notes. So mm. that, my training-wise and observation, is a really interesting time. Um, mm. See how groups are being very different. They're very cre- being creative again in most of the crisis. Mm. That's ongoing. Um, I'm trying to write the monograph slowly about the reinvention of the martial arts in the West. I'm obviously inspired by some of the Eastern practices, mm-hmm. um, which is in, in the series um, published by... Um, Professor Jay Mangum, so mm. the historian of sports. So slowly, I'm, I've got one chapter ready on um, martial arts therapies, and I'm also now looking at martial arts and self-help. Yeah, self-help books, as you know, people like Jeff Thompson, which I know you're interested in as well. I got people <laughs> ready, but you know, these kind of interesting characters like Warrior. And I've got, you know, that's what I'm writing about next. My next chapter is going to be like the Intelligent Warrior. Is that is that Warrior. Jeff Thompson? Is it? This one's what Jeff Thompson's Warrior. Is that one. quite new? Is it? 
2010, I think. So fairly okay. new, those most recent ones. But again, it's quite it's changed. It's a bit more spiritual. Uh, a bit more spiritual, would you say? I would say, uh, well, I, I don't know the man, but in terms of the outputs that I've seen, I mean, he, you know, yeah. when he renounced violence, he seemed to embrace a kind of strange spirituality and psychology that... Yeah. I don't. I have no stomach for that. So, so well done you for be for being able to. <laughs> yeah, I, I finished it, but it was a laugh. I don't want to be rude to Jeff Thompson, but it made me laugh a few times. I told my partner, "You got to read this," and it's quite sexist in some parts. I mean, first few pages that so this book is for men. Women could also read this, and it's like, oh, thank. And my, my, my partner's like, oh, thank you for allowing me to be a warrior. She said next day. <laughs> so, there's a lot of things needs to be critiqued. Who say? And this yeah. one is quite. I wonder with with I think it's it's interesting the way that I mean again I I loved Jeff Thompson's early works I mean he was hugely influential on me as a as mm. as a martial artist as someone who was interested in really being able to use techniques in 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 tense situations dangerous mm. situations and then when I looked into to his change from when he when he sort of renounced violence I, I, and to me it just became um, unwatchable, unlistenable, unreadable because because it, it it seemed to be a little bit messiah complex. Now I don't know anything about that, but I wonder if you can take the the recent stuff and look back and see if if there's any continuity there, or if it's just like a radical change of status. I don't know. I don't Interesting. Know. Look at that. I mean, my PhD I looked at the ideal types of the the fighter, the martial artist, and the thinker, which I found that in the Chinese martial arts they were. It's over their life history. They seem to have this kind of formation. Okay. But I think over time, you look over decades, people often start maybe more as a fighter, become more technical over time and become maybe traditionalist and they want to pass on their knowledge. And, and then they may become later in life a bit more, we could say, in the bracket spiritual, philosophical. Or, you know. But that, that spiritual philosophical is also very fungible. I mean, if, uh, yeah. some of the stuff that I've looked at are figures like Jeff Thompson, I guess, when they get older and they really don't want to be involved in violence anymore, and they've been deeply traumatized throughout their entire lives by things that they thought they embraced wholeheartedly. And you yeah. look, and it's like, well, they've obviously thought, well, how can I get an income from something that I can't do anymore? And mm -hmm. I think Jeff Thompson was offering, like, to go on walks with people. Like, you could pay him, you'll go for a walk, and he'll share his philosophy. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Barrel, bottom, scraper, like, that's what, God, I, you know, I don't want to bad mouth someone who, who I haven't studied and I don't know, but, but it, it struck me that the spiritual seems a little bit, or the managerial seems a little bit too close to the, uh, how can I make some more money out of this? Yeah, I think there's an element there that I think I've missed in my previous research is the, the money and, and the business side. I mean, I, I'm looking at maybe people embodiment, their experience and yeah. lots of other things, but definitely you can see there's a element of creating a business and why many martial arts fail, like say Bartitsu, you look at why, also you can study why martial arts collapse or why institutions fail or why they struggle to get students. That's an interesting yeah. study in itself. But at the same time, some people come, they work very much in the kind of neoliberal. He, in this book very much is about like, you know, Jag, everyone should have a Jaguar XR and you, you see God better. He actually said, you see God better from a Jaguar XR. <laughs> but honestly, and money is God because money is a, a expression of energy, transformation of energy. Oh, so, oh no, no, don't. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, no. yeah. The money is God. Things like that. Oh. <laughs> so I want you to keep speaking, but I also don't want to hear this. I don't want this yeah. to be true. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Again, I feel bad. I don't want to like be on YouTube talking about no, yeah, this, this, I, 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 some, some really good. Every book, I think there are good things and there are things to critique. And sometimes there are books I'm obviously able to critique. Yeah. Um, and because someone's making a great 
business out of it. Um, whereas some people, scholars are the other one, he's written on just one book and I think he seems to live like the intelligent warrior. Again, it has very bold claims, but it seems yeah. like he's focused on that and not try to write dozens of books and yeah. making money. So you, yeah, definitely. It's a fascinating thing, being a martial arts entrepreneur. And you can think, how can you yeah. make a living out of martial arts? Just teaching yeah. is very I mean, I think that a lot of, um, you know, I never thought about the kind of stuff that we do as scholars, like professional paid academics, um, credentialed academics, and, and the kind of negative challenge we are um, um, leveling to these on, in, in entrepreneurs because like we bust the myths we go no that's not the history and yeah. and and people who want to occupy positions of what like you say like the thinker like they want to be a mystical wise uh buddhist or taoist sage and we're going this is just cultural fantasy you're just making this stuff up like uh, where we, we we're really probably quite inadvertently and accidentally hostile to to the to the era of publications and era of figures that preceded us yes you know we're damaging people's incomes could be yeah you could think about that you can think of martial arts studies is you know it's critical it's theoretical it's got a robust amount of information behind it and research and a body of knowledge that challenges this kind of a um, singular body of knowledge of individuals isn't it and, mm. and they could potentially impact their livelihood and mm. i mean hopefully you know that could be good in say there are charlatans that we know in martial arts there are a lot of charlatans who like have special powers or they can Transforming, yeah. and perhaps they also use their power back to the idea of the coach or instructor who can be quite abusive to their students. And and you can talk about things like the Muck Dojo. I mean, I gave a presentation a while back about that, linking to the idea of Muck Mindfulness, of Stephen Stanley organised yeah. university. And I think Muck Dojo is a fascinating thing to explore. That yeah, there are they do have these Muck senseis who really are <laughs> claim to be a master of ten different martial arts, created their own, and yeah. often abuse their power and make a lot of money out of doing, giving very little. So that's something we could definitely possibly needs to, to explore it academically yeah. yeah definitely yeah definitely well 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 done you for being able to have the stomach to 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 look at these self-help texts i mean it's something that i feel drawn to and repulsed by in equal measure that's interesting yeah because paul you're very it's interesting you're, you're very sad do you think that it's also the theories you have are making you quite sensitive to like deconstruction for example that maybe you make you feel repulsed by it. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I I I'm I, I'm fearful of um, things. People who occupy straightforward positions that should be deconstructed, like like someone who wants to put themselves in the position of the wise man, someone who wants to put themselves in the position of the of the the, the physical manifestation of like an ancient lineage, mm. like you know that I I I. I I, it makes me tense and it makes me, I don't believe them. I don't trust them. I, I don't believe experts. I don't trust them. I don't believe authorities. I believe in like academic methods and critical interrogation of things. So yeah, I, I, I worry about people who claim to offer something unique or, or I even worry about, I mean, I struggle even reading like straightforward, you know, Western established philosophy because all of this seem to be jumbling in terms and concepts from anywhere. And it makes me, it makes me feel quite hostile. Like you need, what we need is to interrogate the concepts that we have rather than start pulling new concepts out of the air. Mm. I, I really, I really feel hostile towards stuff like that. Okay. 
Interesting. So it might be because you're, you're looking at the deconstruction and I'm, maybe I'm trying to look at the reconstruction of those crossover. Yeah. And, and I'm critical, but maybe not to that degree, because I'm still trying to understand and appreciate and interrogate and experience it myself yeah. with a hint of critique, obviously, but not to the degree. So it might be just our different backgrounds. I think. I, I think, yeah. I think for me, it's just, it's like the personal gets in front of the, my, my personal responses to, to things that I, I've already, I already, like a pre-critical bias, like, you know, you do the unconscious bias thing. It's like, on the one hand, I know that the self-help discourse and, and the spiritual, and the spiritual-ish kind of a, a discourse, it exists in the world and I want to look at it, but when I look at it, it annoys me so much that I can get past it, but in a conversation like this with you, I can't, I find it immensely difficult to um treat it with any kind of respect I, you know it's like but but the the writing the reading and writing part of me that is the profession the professional academic the scholar who can really kind of uh, look at things uh, calmly uh i can get past it but i find that i, I can't when i'm speaking about it yeah. <laughs> that's the unprofessional part of me yeah. that's, that's that's the boy from newcastle you know <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I find some of them, they do have nuggets. I think every book has some good things. Like some of them maybe reflect on if I'm trying to have like a mid-afternoon cake too often than coffee. So sometimes the other one, The Intelligent Warrior, which is a good one, it, it talks about like, oh, I deserve this. I deserve, I've worked hard. So I deserve the peak in energy. And it made me reflect that I do have a tendency to like, oh, I, I deserve a wet, I, I live in Wales. I, I get a barrel reef or a Welsh cake and a tea. And I start to get this, these habits, which can obviously be bad in my health in the long term. So it has been, some of them have been very really useful for me to reflect on my own practice. Yeah, I mean, I admit, I do, I do draw on platitudes, right? Mm -hmm. So like one of my, I never thought that I liked it, but the one that I've recently started to say to myself, if I'm confronted with a physical pragmatic problem, like how to build a grappling dummy or how to set up a new piece of training equipment yeah. because I can't get out of my own garden, and I was, I'm remembering the Bruce Lee phrase, you know, the, the salute, it's, it, the answer is simply to simplify, simply to simplify. So the first grappling dummy that I made had arms and legs. And, and in the end, I, I've simplified it to what do I need this to do? I need to be able to punch it. And I need to be able to throw it. So it's now incredibly simple. So, yeah, I mean, I use the self-help. I use the platitude, but um, it's almost like embarrassing to say it out loud. But in my head, Bruce Lee, I'm looking at a problem. I'm going to, how... Because my tendency is to overcomplicate, uh, and I go, no, I need to. What's the simplest way that I can do this? And I do find that that is a transferable platitude that I have used in constructing training equipment to 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 carrying out domestic chores around the house. You know, so I'm a hypocrite. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. I think we we are critical of things. We because we are humans and we are practitioners ourselves. We do things that maybe we critique we observe another people like the humor maybe shouldn't i should i have tell that joke because often say humor in martial arts we do tell jokes with the lads or any and you but you might write some of these down in your notes you think actually i think i've been involved in laughing about those things so, yeah yeah uh, it's it's yes yes i mean yeah a number of times i walk out of a lecture and I've been lecturing to like 150 undergraduate students and I've said something that I found hilarious. And then yeah. you think, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> how am I going to get sued? But it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. And you start to, you have to really interrogate the ethics and the, and was this a malicious joke? Do I really hate the target? You know, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. It's a minefield, but. <laughs> so, I like it.
Yeah, so George, um, we've talked for um, about 50 minutes now. I don't want to, like a seminar, I don't like these things to last longer than I would expect mm -hmm. students to concentrate for. But I just want to say that it's been really, really nice talking to you, really interesting as ever. Um, and thank you for taking the time. That's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. <laughs> Cheers.